Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Exploring Life in Equine Practice, What Makes Us Tick. The idea of these podcasts is to really try and uncover what my guests use to get through their day-to-day work lives or or what they've faced in their challenges um, and what their strengths and weaknesses are in their careers. So how have they managed to get to where they are now? Um, We'll come on to talk about their failures and the second half of the podcast and that really is uh, an opportunity to think about how they've failed forward and actually used those life lessons to develop their careers. My guest today is a really, really good friend of mine, Jack Wallace. Jack graduated at the uh, same time as me but from different universities back in 2008 We worked in rival practices and that's how we got to know each other and developed our friendship. Right from the get-go, I realised that Jack was super ambitious, seemed to exude confidence and uh, was often a role model to me. There were many times that I would talk to him and he would be doing what I would see as um, incredible clinical procedures, upskilling himself pushing himself forward and going for always going for the bigger option. So whereas I was always the conservative box rest and butte man, Jack was the one that was um, pushing forward and and upskilling himself. Um, Not to do myself a disservice, I was ambitious and I certainly went on to find clinical practices that I could develop. Um, But perhaps it was different for Jack. Jack seemed to always have this drive to to own his own practice um, and, and be uh, the best that he could be in terms of being a, a sports horse clinician and he has achieved that so now Jack is a owner of an equine practice and a highly regarded equine clinician he runs his practice with his partner Bridget and they achieved all of that really together when Jack was what I would term as as relatively inexperienced. So within the 10 years that he graduated, he'd gone on and, and formulated this practice, which is continuing to grow um, and has yet to be swallowed up by 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 the corporate bubble. So Jack is, in my opinion, the, the ultimate entrepreneur. So I'll welcome Jack. Jack, how are you today? Yes, very well. Thank you, Brad. Um, very, a very kind introduction. Um, um, I'm just um, just just sat at home just at the minute. Um, I don't see a lot of home, but um, normally I'd be normally I'd be I'd be riding out. Uh, I've, got, I've got a few point pointers, but uh, having turned those having turned those away with, um, with the lack of uh, the point pointing going just at the moment, um, I've got a bit of time to um, sit down and chat with yourself. Brilliant. Yeah, I didn't include that on the intro, Jack, but um, you are as well a successful point-to-point trainer, um, having had several wins and your belt. I don't quite know how you managed to juggle. Oh, I don't know. That might be a bit strong, but uh, yeah, I, um, I, <laughs> I enjoy it as a sideline. Um, Jack, can we start off talking about your career in a little bit more detail? So I said that we graduated um, in the same year at 2000, in 2008. We were at different universities, but, but what was your first career goal? Where did you start and how did you kickstart your pathway to, to becoming a, a successful equine vet? My first job following Edinburgh was um, up in Inverness with uh, working under Keith Chandler, um, who had um, not too long set up um, the practice Keswick Equine, uh, and actually 
uh, he, he in fact was, uh, I only had a very short stint with him um, before coming down to work in Doncaster that I probably still look back as on Keith Chandler being probably um, the strongest role model um, in my career, be that because he was my first boss or because he was such a good boss, I'm not sure. Um, and then, so following a, a, a very good stint um, working for Keith and in Vanessa, I went down to um, work for Minster Equine Vets in Doncaster, um, where I had a great deal of freedom. Um, so I suppose I, I learned a lot there with the with that freedom. Um, and then I um, ventured back to sort of home territory, which was never really my ambition, to be honest. I was quite happy to work anywhere in the country. Um, but opportunity came up at a local practice that um, that potentially had a um, an opening for growth into being a, a partner or a director one day. So I, I took that opportunity um, in that practice to come back, back around here, um, which is Warwickshire. Um, and unfortunately that, that, that didn't, um, didn't uh, come about um you know sort of partnership role just just how, how I'd, i would hope so um then then um set up um set up Warner hill equine vets which which is the practice that i'm um director with um my work partner bridget um now well, yeah uh, yeah thanks for that jack because um I'm, I'm just thinking you 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 talk very um sort of almost quite clinically about your uh, practices that you 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 kind of went from and then to the next practice and I certainly worked in multiple practices um I, I know my first practice I, I think I didn't stay there a year and um and and then moved on to the next each practice that I've worked at I, I took so much from and I would thank those bosses for for helping shape me into the the clinician that that I became um but mm -hmm. but I I was always acutely aware that I was very kind of headstrong in that I wanted the next best thing or what I thought as kind of the next best practice that suited me um so uh, so that I could develop did you see yourself like that did you sort of think right okay you know this has done me done done it's done it's kind of bit for me here but but I want to to get better so I, I need to find a practice that's going to kind of fulfill that next um, need for me was that was that kind of your driver yes I suppose so I, I wasn't I was never one to sort of um, seek um, clinical excellence if you like as being the, the, the reason that I that, that I would go to a practice the reason I the reasons that I'd, I'd, I'd gone to each practice were more based about around the type of practice they were that um the sort of um environment i'd be working in um i didn't um i haven't worked at any particularly renowned if you like um hospitals um where where a lot of people have gone gone sort of via via some of the very well established large practices being internships etc um i am um, i just went from went to practices then ultimately I, I thought was going to be a good a good team um to work with and to to further my career um in, a, in possibly a slightly more independent fashion than 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 than, than some some might have possibly yeah and you you've mentioned two words which i'd just like to pick up on and that being independence and freedom it, it was that really then the main criteria to find practices that that would allow you to grow um 
to a point where you then felt that you could you could de- step into a partnership or director um, position. Ultimately, I, I wasn't. I, although although I would like I, although I like um, to be to, to like the level of um, I like the, I like freedom and independence, no doubt. I, I, I don't think um, my I don't think it was an ambition. My ambition to potentially be my own boss or, or a partner, if you like, um, was not such that I had set a certain point in my life and I was on a speedy track towards that. Um, it's just, it. Um, I, I hope that that would one day come. It did, in fact, come a lot earlier in my career than I than I was necessarily hoping or expecting it to. Um, but um, no, the, the the practices that I that I worked for were they just seemed a, a team and a, and a and a position that I could work within, um, where I could I could learn as I went along. I was given enough support, but not but not felt necessarily overpowered, or, or indeed um, sort of um, strong, strongly constrained all the time, which which would have been an environment I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have thrived in. Yeah. Yeah, and and we talk about, or you've just said that perhaps you, you know, you never put a time frame or a timeline. You didn't set out. Um, you know, by five years, I need to be here. By ten years, I need to be there. But, but, but inevitably, you, you, you did reach that point of of, of starting your own practice from scratch. Um, what I would perceive as quite early on in your career. You know, how how did that sort of then come about? So, if it wasn't a kind of set decision, you know, was that something that you you just got kind of itchy feet quite early on, or where where did that where was that kind of idea then? born from um i i I I suppose um i i I was i hadn't got um never had this uh, sort of initial um desire to set up a practice from scratch um on my own i would never thought that that would be um i thought that the challenge of that would be too strong um so so my idea was to find a team that i could work within and um, and I think a really a really healthy healthy group of people that you get on well with is is, is seriously important. Um, and I suppose that's in a way what I was seeking to find really a practice that I could eventually um, work well within and get on with everybody on a, on a really easy smooth level through the through the working days. And and then maybe maybe be able to have a little bit more a little bit more say in how things are done eventually. Um, but um, it's um, but yeah, ultimately, the path kind of led me led me slightly away from that in the end, and and um, and and was in, sort of encouraged in a way to set, set set up set up from scratch, which actually has has um, has has gone well. But um, yeah, that's that's where um, that's where, where. And and Jack, did you have anyone that really sort of you know encouraged you perhaps then when you were thinking? Or oh, actually, okay, I haven't quite got a, you know, perhaps, a, uh, you know, an opportunity isn't perhaps where it, it, you know, I would like it to be. So this idea now of setting up from scratch is is maybe something I need to look at. Was was there a role model then, you know, someone who said, well, you know, Jack, you you could do that. So, you know, yes, I, was there I, someone I, that kind of pushed you then a little bit there and said, well, we'll just set up on your own. Well, I think, yeah, I think, I think so. My granddad was, um, my granddad was a veterinary surgeon, and he, um, he set up his a practice just literally um, a few miles from where 
where we are now. So I, I suppose that was probably a little bit of a seed in my mind that that it, it can be done. Um, and um, as going back to Keith Chandler, he um, he, he was sort of quite a quite an ambitious, independent, and helpful, supportive chap. But he um, he he gave me quite a bit of support at that point when when I was in a bit of a crossroads in my career as to as to um, partnership or. or or um, taking an alternative route, and um, he was he was very helpful at that point. Not not only that, I think um, I've had I've had a, I've had really strong support from my mum and dad. Actually, um, they they've both both been big big parts of, of um, sort of keep keeping a sort of a, some stability behind um, behind behind the career my career as well. Yeah, and and it's interesting how you mentioned your mum because I I do know having you know knowing you really well, Jack, that your mum was you know a big part of 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 you know setting or helping you kind of set the the wheels in motion and and in in running the business at, at, certainly at, at the beginning. But I do want to bring in at this stage um, your business partner, or so we can talk a little bit about Bridget because clearly you know you perhaps you had this idea. How on earth did you? go about um selecting the person that you wanted to start this business with i mean was it a selection sort of process and 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 how did you kind of almost establish that relationship because i i must admit from my experience and i and i once was in a position to become a partner i i did feel like it was ultimately almost going to be like a marriage Yes, yeah. Bridget Gate, as I saw, I actually saw a practice with her when I was a student um, um, at um, um, at at a practice that I just um, that I subsequently went to work for. So then I worked alongside her, um, and I realised we both had very similar ways of practicing, um, very similar approaches, and and the same sort of. Um, can do approach if you like um to to veterinary medicine where um we we just tried to be as 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 human as possible and 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 treat the treat the, the horse and the client um in, in a way that we're all working together to get the same goal and i think realizing we could work so easily and smoothly together I, I by that point had a bit of experience of working with quite a few other people um as well and um i realized that um that, that that how smooth it was working with Bridget was was rel- relatively unique. Um, so, um, and thank thankfully I did. Um, I've obviously did put enough thought into that because um, we've managed to get through a lot of um, sort of a lot of stressful decisions along the way since. Um, and I think it's yeah. If I could if I could give any advice if if, if um, Going into a partnership or or, or setting up as a, as a new practice, um, the partners that you'd be dealing with need to be um, people that you feel very close to and very comfortable with working on every level because it's um, yes, I think uh, uh, the marriage analogy is probably probably not not far away. Um, it's um, everything has to be decided together and. That's that would be the strongest bit of advice I think I'd probably give anybody thinking of going into a, a partnership if you're um, unsure about um, your ability to work with the other partners. Then I think you're it's um, that would that would be a worry for me. Yeah, and uh, you're making me think about um, probably the last meeting I had before 
well, the meeting where it was kind of crunch time and I was sat with three other partners and we were in Pizza Express having a meeting about the partnership. And I remember saying, okay, at the start of the meeting, I just need to say, you know, I, I'm, out, I'm out, you know, I'm not going to do this. And then I left. Um, and it was probably for, for, for that reason that, that I felt like I, it wasn't going to be a marriage made in heaven. And, and, and perhaps, you know, I, I then kind of walked away from that but um but Jack I, I know that with your practice um you set it up in an area that that was you know fairly well populated with equine uh, practices and uh, and, I, and I'd worked in that area as well so I know that you know competition was probably going to be quite tight and um it was close to your home um but I mean how did how do you even how did you even sort of start that process because for me, I, I don't, I don't even really know where you would begin to to start an equine practice close to other equine practices. Uh, well, it, you know, it, it with... wasn't terribly well planned in the sense that it was slightly, slightly impulsive. Um, but equally, but in the sense that I'm sure there would have been plenty other areas to set up an equine practice where it would have flourished in an, in a really strong requirement for an equine or predominantly a coin vet in that area. Um, but I think the the support that I have gained from sort of friends and family in this area was, was the reason that I suppose um, the home area made, made, made more sense, despite the fact that it's, I, I would have thought probably one of the most populated equine veterinary <laughs> areas, if you like, there's um, a, a great number of purely equine practices within just a just just a 20 minute drive of of us um but um so that was that was a big worry for me um i wasn't sure if it was ever going to take off um but um fortunately fortunately it has but um yeah it wasn't a it wasn't a a a well thought out business decision if you like it was just purely based off of the support and friends and family that i'd have nearby and i'm not sure in hindsight i probably could have managed it in an area that I didn't know um, and didn't have the the support of, of, of friends and family in in, in that area. Um, so um, I think it was the right decision in the end. But I was very apprehensive at the start as to whether 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 I'd be able to sort of be able to squeeze our way into into a, a share of the market, if you like, in this area. Yeah, and and and, and you know, squeeze your way in. You did, and 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 the practice was was born, and and I, and you've talked really about sort of two pillars of of um, support, and perhaps you would attribute, you know, those to success, and I, and I pick those out as being, you know, knowledge of the area with friends and family, and and clearly Bridget being your your kind of you know trusty partner. Um, was it was there was there any point in those kind of early years where you thought, you know. I'm not sure if this really was the right decision. And and if you did think that, what was the main thing that kind of kept you awake at night thinking, I'm not sure that was, that was the right move. You know, was there anything that you felt at the, in the early stage that probably wasn't going to plan? Um, I think, I think uh, as a start, we have the initial excitement of um, what, what may lay ahead. Um, And then as that sort of starts to wane and the, 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 um, how much of your life um, then then gets kind of um, uh, taken up by it. 
um, then then there was sort of I think the interim after the sort of initial excitement of a new business the interim part has probably been the hardest where you wonder whether the, um, the lifestyle and the job will ever be able to give you um, or, or at least at least give you a, a kind of a, a sensible um, sensible happy life if you like um, where um, you're fin financially secure um, but you've got a good work-life balance and um, that um, feel like it might be might be getting through that interim period, but probably only only just now um, we're starting to work on trying to make um, make the practice um, just just a little bit more um, friendly to 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 ourselves and to the to the people that work for us, and realise that we don't have to keep keep driving forwards as, as hard as we did in the first few years, and maybe. Maybe um, take, take if you like take our take our foot off the pedal a little bit on 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 the on the growth and the ambition side and try and try and make it a, a, as as nice a place to work as possible. Yeah, and, and I I I just want to sort of just clear that up for the listeners because um and give a little bit more detail to that. So when did the practice start? Or what what year was it? Um... We, we started the practice in 2014 so i was i suppose i was only six years qualified at that point so i suppose relatively relatively inexperienced um clinically as well as um as well, certainly on a, on a business level inexperienced but uh clinically um so, you know, lower on experience than, than most at that point as well um and then um so obviously it's seven so it's seven years old now um and um it's uh, we we have um, there's seven of it, seven equine vets including myself and Bridget um, and we um, grew by thirty percent la the last year so we still seem to be growing relatively rapidly um, but I suppose it's trying to yeah we're just trying to get to sort of changing that from sort of slowing the growth down and making improving its um, improving the quality of our work and the um the place the place in which we work yeah and i i think you know this is something that we've talked about a lot um you know as friends uh, you know trying to sort of think about work-life balance and 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 you know you're seven years now into this new practice which you know you've just said it it grew by 30 percent what was it last year so it's clearly a successful business it's clearly holding its own um and you're now at a point where perhaps as a director, you you want to get your work-life balance, in, you know, back. Um, and and you'd like to think that you've got a team that that can can help you do that because they they're out, um, you know, perhaps doing the calls while you're doing the 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 managing and 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 you know not having to spend every single night um, doing practice stuff in addition to your um, clinical work. The the two points I want. To, to share with the listeners are that that you know Jack you've talked about your team and, and I know that that your team are incredibly loyal you have a very low turnover of vets um, and you do you know one thing you do well at is is empowering them to be the best vets they can and and supporting them so that they they want to continue to work for you and and you've shared with me before about um the importance of appraisals and and how actually um, they are important so that that vets um, continue to feel inspired 
to want to work for you. Can you can you just share that thought about you know why why is it important to have those conversations? I th- I think that the people that um that, that work with us at um at Warnet Hill they are they are they're a team of people and they be, they become ultimately become a family um and it's we work we spend a lot of hours together um and we all get on very well the team spirit i think is by far the most important thing in, in a practice i've noticed that with other practices that i work for if, if you've got a strong team spirit and you can all work together um in and there's plenty joking going on and um a kind of a, a friend a friendly um friendly atmosphere that you can you can feel comfortable and be yourself within is 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 so important um i think the line between for myself and bridget the line between being that way but also trying to be good leaders has has been has been some has been the part that i suppose of over the last seven years worked on as much as possible and probably found the most challenging um but yeah, our keenness for the 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 team to be happy has 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 been very high on our on our list to the point where it's um, we um yeah we 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 try to put ourselves on you know on this ultimately on this sort of same same working level every day as everybody else uh, and and all the vets um, and it's more of um yeah it's more it's more of a flat management system in that sense um, I think people's happiness um the vets and and the nurses and the office staff if if they're happy there's no doubt the business is more successful and each time we've we've met with a vet um or we've managed to sort a problem i think we've managed to make a problem into a, a, a hopefully almost a almost a success in a way at least for us because i think the hopefully the the team can see that we've we take we've taken on that um that problem supported them in it and then come out the other side um and each time each time we've had um either offered praise in the right areas in an, in an appraisal or tried to work through a problem with a number of staff their performance following that is is clear to see both 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 in their level of happiness and demeanor and also but also on their on on their um what they what they bring to the what they bring to the company so um it's um yeah i think i think that's that's paramount and it's also paramount for 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 our well-beings in bridget and mine if we we need a good team a team that team that's happy it's um it's just um spend spend too much too much time too much time together for, for it not to be that way yeah and we've talked about that on on this podcast with previous guests about you know we all acknowledge that the time we spend at work is the biggest chunk of our life so we need to certainly find it a place that we can be ourselves and and be happy thinking about some you know tangible sort of uh, you know maybe practical things that practices could do then uh, you know you we you've talked about the the importance of appraisals and that kind of upward trajectory of performance of your vets after an appraisal and I've certainly you know felt in practice that I've kind of for three weeks then done my very best because of how empowered I felt having had that appraisal conversation is there any other tips that that you um could suggest to keep uh, team spirit up I mean do you do practice socials do you have a group whatsapp chat I mean I'm just trying to think off the top of my head how do you maintain team spirit 
other than having those kind of you know regular appraisals yeah, what I think do you you've, do? Probably, you've probably touched on those just just through what you've just said actually but the um and it, uh, we've had uh, another two two vets that have joined us relatively recently and i think it's been it's been clear to see the difference that for the way of working that they, they've had to they've had to alter slightly they haven't been probably used to how how we've done it it's our practice where we have multiple whatsapp groups throughout the practice which uh from the outset you'd say you, you, you kind of feel like it's too much um with your phone messages all the time but the 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 communication between the whole team is um is to, to gel us together is, is so, so important um in in between small teams between between us but also throughout the whole team so there's a, there's a lot of communication that goes on throughout the whole day on on whatsapp messages uh clinical and non-clinical um we do obviously we haven't been able to with coronavirus but we as a practice we when we when we sort of interviewing for jobs we we do um jokingly jokingly sort of picture our picture ourselves you know could could we have a night out with that person um could we all go out for a drink um have have some fun go to a party would would we feel that would be a good atmosphere um, and that is that is ultimately one of the boxes we like to try and tick when we're interviewing somebody, um, which um, I think that's 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 how you can try and build a team that that does actually enjoy spending time together, um, both both at work and outside of work. Um, and so far, I think I, I hope we've managed that. Um, so um, uh, that's and I, I suppose just trying to um, I think when I first set up, I think we found or I found it quite challenging hearing about everybody's personal problems as well as their professional problems. Um, we did feel that was quite a weight to bear, but um, as we've grown, I've realized that that's a really important part of it. And whether I, whether I like it or not, I think pers people's personal circumstances when they're working with you um, are important. You do need to know about them um, as, as an employer and you do need to balance those concerns with their professional concerns because you know, they're not going to be happy if um if you're if you're ignoring their their personal lives and their um their personal concerns um whatever they whatever they be so we try we try to take them seriously whenever whenever anything like that is um comes up and try and address it and try and adapt their job or, or their their working ways to to accommodate it yeah and i can see already a potential stumbling block with these whatsapp groups because i remember setting up a whatsapp group in a practice that i worked at and one of the partners not being happy about the fact that they'd been um, assigned or um, included in a, a whatsapp group and and their reaction which was you know, quite a strong reaction at the time was you know i don't want this pinging and going off 10 times a day i've got enough to deal with and the thought that you might have four WhatsApp groups going on with, and you're part of them because obviously you're the director. Well, actually, I mean, yeah, we have seven. We have seven vets, and uh, we have four, four, five nurses now. Actually, um, and um, we would have. I, I think we would probably have something like between ten and fifteen WhatsApp groups um, amongst the practice. Be it myself and just the nurses, just the nurses group, just the vets group. Just Bridget and I. Bridget and I, and in the, each individual vet has a has a WhatsApp group as well. So Bridget and I can chat on WhatsApp 
to each vet. Um, and then we also have a sort of an ortho team, which is the, the, the guys that do more of the lameness and a repro team, which, so yeah, the, the groups are, yeah, I might, I might, I might be, um, might, might even say there might, there might be, might be 20, I might be 20 WhatsApp groups, um, which yes, can be a bit incessant. Um, but my phone actually remains on silent, um, at least on its messaging. My me my phone, phone never beeps when it has a message because we do get so many. Um, so I don't like it to be beeping away all day. But when I get when I get a minute, I'll sit down and read them, read them, and then um, continue. And it does slow your day down. I do I do have to pull over regularly throughout the day to read through the messages. But if you don't do that, I don't feel. Yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think you can run a successful business and be in the loop and being able to help um, if you're if you're not aware. Yeah, that's a great point, and it, that's a a good sort of topic that I'm sure we could debate uh, a lot with um, lots of different partners about how you manage your communication. But I just want to touch on a second point that I know that we've talked about, and that's um, taking on new staff and certainly staff that are experienced vets are um, established in their area of interest and, and, and making sure that you can kind of set them up in your practice. And I think the biggest challenge that we've discussed before is, is how you get them embedded in, in your clients, because we all know that clients get incredibly attached to often the most experienced vet or one vet. It doesn't have to be the most experienced vet. Um, and therefore trying to get the new vet in, even if the new vet is incredibly experienced and maybe more experienced in that field than you, how do you then get that client on? Uh, sorry, get that vet on the yard with that client that, that doesn't doesn't want the new vet. I think the first thing we try to do, which is the same with with any of the members of staff, uh, are try to find out what it is that they're interested in and they like doing, and then try to encourage them to advance themselves in that area. Um, we don't have an area that we want to fill, and then try to find the person to fit the area. Try and find. The right person and then fit the job to that that person's um, interests because I think people work much better in an area that they're really interested in um, the so far as once we once we feel confident in 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 that um, that person's sort of clinical work it makes us very easy then to get them onto onto yards because very often each member of the the team is better than Bridget and I clinically in in in, a, in some some things, and it's very easy just to then tell the clients that trust Bridget and I that this 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 vet can do a better job than me, um, and that's an instant um, ticket. I think then for the clients to think, well, if they're better than if you're saying they're better than you, then that's enough, um, and I think I think that is probably the best. That's the best way that they can can get into the yards that are more challenging and more difficult to please um, and also I think having them again the clients then feeling that we are all the vets are talking regularly um, we really don't like a vet to go onto a yard without knowing every bit of history they can about what we've had at that yard before and um, be it in the, re in the sort of weeks leading up to that visit or, uh, or any of the history over the years leading up to that, um, if a client feels that we all talk and we all know what we need to know about that yard and that person and that that team, um, then they then start to accept 
any 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 of us because they know that any hopefully they know that whichever vet they get will 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 know will know everything everything about their horses. Um, so I think that's really important as well. If a vet turns up, new vet turns up to a yard and doesn't know doesn't know that um, the other they lost a horse the week before from a broken leg, if you like. Um, I think that looks they just already look look new rather than part of our team. Yeah, I think that's um, really valuable, uh, Jack. And uh, you know, the way I interpret that is that you know you need to have a good handover um, if if you're going to kind of step back and then hand over some of your responsibilities on that yard to the new vet. Because... Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a constant, um, it's always a, it's a constant goal for Bridget and I to try to get the, the, the vets accepted in yards and also um, I think when, when the, when the phone call comes that they then ring in and want, want um, one, one of the assistants as opposed to, me or Bridget instead. Um, I think that's that's a that's a that's a, a really a really good moment, um, and it's um, it's not um, it's just that's what we try to strive for really, and um, it's um, it's easier for if you like for um, Bridget tonight to uh, to go go about um, doing new work, but um, I think it's um, yeah. If the, if the existing clients ring in and want one of the veterinary assistants instead of us, then that is that's what that's what we're aiming for, and it's just trying to get get to that point. Um, it can be done by taking the the new vets around to new yards and introducing them, but we do that once, but try not to do it too much more than once. I think the initial introduction says there's it's a face to a name of the new vet onto a yard is good, but after that, I think it can be a bit difficult because. If you keep doing that more than once, or they continue to, you continue to accompany them, then then the client doesn't doesn't see the new vet as being um, capable, sees them as an assistant, which is not not what not what they are, not what not what we want to achieve. Yeah, and and it, it's it sounds you know again like quite a process that you've sort of. Um you know coined or, or that's probably a better expression but but it's clearly something that you've thought about and you've um and you've done and it's been successful and you spend time doing it and I, I think you know you you probably have to be brave enough to say um you know this vet is better at this than me and I think that's a powerful phrase for a client to hear because I think if they trust you and you say that this person is better then they will go with that and I think if you can say that I'm sure that's a massive hook. Yeah I think like competition internally within a team is not helpful Um, I've experienced that before where you feel if you're working in a team and you're working in competition with your colleagues for say um a certain client or a certain type of client uh, or a certain type of work then I don't know that that's a particularly healthy feeling um, I think if it, if, we're, if the team's working successfully then everybody is trying to have everybody's back and try and help cover up each other's mistakes and downfalls if you like um, and I think if you can get that spirit within a team then then you, you're, you're winning um, but I think um, if there's a too much um, internal competition, which does does occur occasionally, um, 
even if it's between the partners and the assistants in the sense that the partners are um, trying to hang on to the better the better easier nicer clients if you like um, I don't I don't think that I'd hope that would be something that we we um, we are able to steer away from it needs to be needs to be um, I don't, you know, working as a team but Growing, um, probably boring by just saying that because that's um, that's obviously yeah, we, that's obviously we're coming back. Part of my message. No, I, I like this the whole team spirit theme which is running through this, and the whole idea of transparency within it, I think, is is really um, again empowering. And 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 I and I don't use that word lightly. Um, Jack, I, I want to come on to talk about your your failure. So, um, thinking about you know times that either clinically you've made a decision which you know didn't quite come off and and uh, and at the time seemed like a bad one but hopefully on reflection was a failure forward um can you give me your your first failure um well i did have a think about this and i've, I've had loads and loads of car crashes and written, written off lots of lots of um lots of cars and had many um speeding fines and mobile tickets so that's a long that's a long history i'm now quite good because a nurse tends to generally um give me some help and chauffeur me around while i'm on the phone or texting or um we're going to do doing do some x-rays so i I've, I've gotten past too many of those big dramas um now and, it's, and i suppose um, you know that kind of a failure jack you know that's it's almost like oh you know the failure to drive and i think we've all experienced that in in equine practice but you know i i know that you did go through quite a period of that where you know you were sort of you know i'm not i don't want to speak for you but it was it was quite a becoming a bit a bit of an issue for you is, is there anything that you learned from those experiences <laughs> well, I, I i wasn't going to bring it up actually in a sense i was only going to give three really quite horrific clinical um failures but um touching on the the car situation i had a particularly awful record in the past which now seems i've got a handle and and i'm an exemplary um model of a driver now of course so so i can i can speak um about the past but um we um i think it's been good the reason it's been um helpful for me is the pressures i think of the job um being encouraged if you like to be on the phone um and speeding to calls and the pressures of that i think are big on on young assistants and we still do ultimately have you know we have an immense amount of car trouble in the practice um but i think it's enabled me to be very forgiving of um incidents accidents speeding fines um and i think that's because i know it is very challenging as an ambulatory f1 vet um so yeah the um I think that's probably probably where that's become a positive, or I can, um, I think it's makes it easier to uh, understand the difficulties of that for for the assistants. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think I think that real life experience, Jack, is is um, is sort of instrumental, isn't it? Because you know you you can only be a, a good kind of you know judge in a way if you've kind of been through those experiences yourself, and and, and therefore you can be more understanding and and. Uh, of of your assistance if you think well you know I know what it was like to have done that and and actually you know in the grand scheme of things it's it's not so I think you know learning to be more empathetic when it comes to car 
car problems, which I'm sure lots yeah. of listeners will know about. Is I think everybody is now probably wondering, well, what are all the car incidents? And the, the car incidents, in very quick summary, are uh, I think at Minster Equine, he had two new cars, one for the assistant that, that I um, um, stayed with at the time. Um, Gemma, I think one day I reversed out one of the practice's new car straight into the other practice's new car, um, managed to damage both of them pretty spectacularly. The first ever job I was in, I crashed, uh, wrote off the first, wrote off the practice vehicle that I was given within about three days of being given it. Um, and then I, I think I've, um, in the first couple of years of my career, I'm pretty, I think I, I went to, went to court, um, on, on sort of speeding fines. Um, I think it was twice in the first couple of years of, 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 my, of working as an equine vet as well um so yeah i had a, a pretty pretty poor start but um anyway that was that was those um the clinical uh, failures were I, th- I think the most spectacular clinical uh, failure was blocking a sacroiliac and i think it was a time in my career when my confidence was very high but um i think my competence was maybe just lagging a bit behind it so it's probably the most dangerous part was was probably the most dangerous spell in my career um didn't didn't lack too much confidence but definitely took a bit of time for confidence to come along and i suppose um the sacroiliac block um was we yeah, was 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 one of those scary moments um i blocked uh the sacroiliac in in the stocks um i'd done done a few before but not very many um and wasn't aware of how easy it was, if you like, to um, to uh, have a sort of sciatic nerve paralysis, which this horse subsequently got within about 10 minutes of me blocking it and then came out the stocks a little bit wobbly. Wasn't really aware of what, what it was doing. Walked into the stable and it fell over. Um, and then spent the f- next probably about four or five hours um, recumbent and unable to get up and... Um, having to have regular sedation to calm it down while the block wore off. But that was a pretty, pretty horrific four or five hours for me. Um, so yeah, that, that probably the one that stuck in my memory the most. Um, haven't been so fond of sacred out blocks since, um, done, done, done a, done a few, but we don't, uh, we, we're not, uh, I'm not so keen on them since that day. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah so that was probably the most spectacular. Yeah, and I mean, you know that 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 experience clearly imprinted on your memory because, and in some ways, you've sort of stepped away now from perhaps being the first one to go out and medicate or block or do anything with sacroiliacs um, again. But I mean, you know, from the point of view of it being a failure, you know, what did you take from that? Which which, which actually was, you know, the, the positive. Well, I suppose thing. two things on a clinical level, like. I suppose I tend to tend to use sacroiliac medication and see, uh, and then a response to treatment rather than blocking them. We still do block them in the clinic, but I'm much more careful, uh, obviously, about the location of the needle and the amount of local anaesthetic. Um, so that's on a clinical level, um, but on a on a sort of personal level, I suppose I I think it was a bit of a wake up call that I was um, my confidence was was going getting getting a lot stronger, but. I think um, I think it was a bit of a wake up call to to slow down and 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 um, really really um, assess the risks of some of the things we do, um, and I think it probably did, but did, did it was a necessary necessary um, um, 
dampener, if you like, on um, my my desire to improve and get better at, at orthopedic and um, sport horse work. Um, I think I needed, probably did need that um, that wake up call to to slow down and just just be, just give everything a, a great deal of thought. Yeah, and, and thanks for sharing that because I think it's um, you know, it's not something we all perhaps want to do. Uh, you know, share our our perhaps clinical failures, but but you know, it I, I, as you said, it I think it probably did um, it end up being a process, which was probably a good thing for you, for 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 us all to go through rather than. Um, yeah, and I suppose the, yeah, you inevitably yeah, and and uh, unfortunately, I'd probably have a, a good list of, of others as well as as I'm sure everybody has. But I think um, I think uh, yeah, embracing them, expecting them to expecting it to happen to everyone because it will, um, and accepting it and trying not to let it dent your confidence if your confidence is low, but uh, also allowing it to dent your confidence if your confidence is too high, which I think in that scenario it was for me. Um, um the other the other one do you have a third do you have a yeah 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 the third probably would be um uh the third would probably be uh an injecting it was just just purely an intravenous injection uh in uh in an evening when it was dark after an emergency call it was i think it was relatively straightforward emergency i gave it an intravenous injection um i think it was just a little bit of sedation and then the, the the next world up um straight you know within within a few seconds of me injecting it i clearly clearly um hit the the carotid and um subsequently the um the horse developed a, a laryngeal hemiplegia um complete paralysis and and we needed to um give the horse a tie back um for free of course um to to sort of remedy the situation um but it was I didn't do it any differently to normal and I, I don't think I'd done anything different since. I think it probably just goes to show that those things are going to happen. Um and unfortunately um it's just trying to make the best of the situation when they do. But yeah, I, I think uh you feel I think if if um you go into being a vet because you want to you want to walk away from a situation where the horses either know better or better, you I think to walk away from the situation and you've you've made that horse worse i think it's quite hard to take and quite hard to deal with um personally because that's not that's not ever something that you ever strive ever striving to do as a, as a as a vet um and i think that's probably the hardest bit that's the hardest bit in in a young career um accepting that sometimes you will make things worse that's that's hard i think yeah, and I, we and we've talked a little bit about that on the podcast about leaving a horse in a worse state than than it perhaps was when you arrived. And 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 again, thank you for sharing that third failure, Jack, because I think that that you know is a very root where well, we know that's a routine procedure. You know, an IV injection is something that everyone does, and it's a day one skill. Um, and, and clearly, in that instance you know clinically you wouldn't change anything and we can't control everything that we do but it's how we uh, manage ourselves when things um go wrong um and and yes, how do I think you it's think a, it's 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 odds isn't it and um unfortunately odds are those things are going to happen to you and it's like you say it's 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 trying to cope with them trying to handle them except that they are happening to everybody yeah and and how do you handle those jack so 
you know, we're coming to the end of this podcast, which has been incredibly insightful on so many levels. But, you know, some of these out of control moments, um, how how do you handle yourself? I mean, how, how do you not go home allowing it to ruin the rest of your weekend or, you know, your sleep or whatever? How, how do you manage yourself so that you can bounce back the following day, particularly if it's your own practice? I mean, how do you bounce back in and, and show the team I think, that you're, you're okay? I think it's really, yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really hard as in um, everybody has their own coping techniques and I think it really comes down to sort of own internal resilience but um i think if you can um if you can try try your very best to step back from it and realize that these things are not going to matter to you a lot in only a short period of time um i think trying to gain some perspective that it is just a job at the end of the day um it's very easy to become for, for the veterinary career to become you um and it's and it's not it's not you you're um you're you're a person that that uses uh you know uses the veterinary profession if you like as as a as a as a, uh, as a livelihood um and i think it's you've got to remind yourself that it is a job um and um yes we're passionate about it but it's not it's not everything yeah and i think, I, I probably, think that's it that, that keeps me focused yeah I, and and allowing that identity of you as jack to not be um uh, lost or misplaced by your work is 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 a difficult one. yeah and but, i think um, you're encouraged to do that i think um in it being a vet um, people only see you as a vet and um and i think there's a certain kind of the way that the way it's um, developed is it, it is is considered a a, a, um, a, a lifestyle possibly with the advent of corporate companies um, buying out and making it a little bit more um, structured if you like although it's I know they've had a lot of bad press and um, it's it's possible that for the profession um, way of way of way of um, working might not be such a such such a bad thing um, making it a little bit more structured and a little less expectation that that um, your every your every minute of your of your day is is, is thinking about being a vet. Yeah, brilliant. Thank thank you, Jack. And this brings us now to the end of this podcast. So um, just just to round things off for our listeners, um, thinking about your journey and and it does sound um you know incredible right from the get go. If there's someone out there driving around in their car thinking gosh you know I want I want to do it I, I want to start my own practice and I, I want to, to to develop what Jack's developed you know what what's the take-home message um from this I mean can you summarize it in a couple of sentences um I I I think my advice would be um you need to find a really good team that you can work within and I think that's more important than anything else um, and if you can work very well with a person then I think that's grounds and, and, a, and a reasonable place to start um, but if you can if you have an opportunity if you're interested in buying into a partnership I think it is an opportunity where you can work very well with the partners and I think that that is worth worth a lot um, where um, 
I think setting a clean slate and starting on your own would would be potentially um, um, fairly fairly isolating and quite difficult. I think um, so. I think it's yeah going back to the team the team thing. I think that is that's the that's the core to core, core of it all. And finding people that you can finding people that you can work with is the most important thing. Braille, th thanks for that, Jack. And I, uh, I, um, I think that's a really strong, sort of powerful message for for anyone that's uh, um, thinking about embarking on a on a similar journey. So we've come to the end of um, this episode. I'd just like to say a huge uh, thank you to Jack Wallace for for joining me and uh, and talking about uh, all the various challenges that he's had throughout his uh, career, and and hopefully sharing some in insightful messages that will go on to in power all of you out there who are, who are keen to follow a similar path a big thank you to the listeners again and to beaver um for for, for helping set this up um i hope that you've enjoyed uh, this episode and please um tune in um for the next one thank you everyone and thank you jack thank you very much <laughs>